Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is sponsored by David Isid in honor of the rabbis and in uh, loving memory, Lunishmat Sarabat Yosef, sponsored by Deborah and Asher Roshan Zamir, and as well, loving memory of Gerald Worman, Alava Shalom, Lunishmat Mordechai Ben Rachel, Alava Shalom, sponsored by Chacham David Bibi, memory of Chantel's father. Rabutai, one of the most beautiful ideas in the, in the Haggadah is an idea that says, what a person has to say in order to fulfill their obligation. These three things need to be said in order for a person to fulfill their obligation. What are the three things? Pesach, Matzah, Umaror. Pesach means, what is Pesach? Ashumah, the Korban Pesach. Korban Pesach describes the sacrifice that they would bring um, in, in Egypt, uh, that they brought in Egypt first, and then, of course, in every subsequent year that they were able to bring the Korban Pesach, but the Bet HaMikdash, uh, was the Korban Pesach. Then we have Matzah, an obligation to eat Matzah, and finally Maror, uh, an obligation to remember all the difficult times that the Jewish people had in Mitzrayim, the slavery, the subjugation, the torturing, etc., etc., etc. One of the most beautiful questions is a question that's brought by Rav Shlomo Kluger. He says, if you take a look at these three words that we're obligated to say, there's something strange about them. They are not in order. The very first thing that a person experienced uh, in, if they were looking at the historical timeline is not Pesach. Pesach happens at the end of their sojourn in Egypt. So really first, the first thing we should say is Maror. The second thing we should say is Pesach. And the third thing we should say is Matzah. Why? Because Matzah is what they ate when they left Egypt. That's after the Korban Pesach. So it should be Maror, Pesach, Matzah. And even if you want to say that the matzah was there, that they ate it in Egypt, because matzah has a presence as they leave, but it's also there, um, that they ate this food. So if you want to kind of think that matzah goes earlier because it's also present in Egypt while they're slaves, then still it should be maror, matzah, and then pesah. But regardless, the order is incorrect. And if Shlomo Kluger answers something that I felt was magnificent. He says as follows. He says, although chronologically, to our eyes, it looks like the order in which they experience these uh, sequenced events is Pesach, is Maror, uh, Pesach, Matzah. In actual fact, that's not true. And he explains why. Our Midrash tells us, and as well, the Fugim Marot that describe this idea, that there were elements that were created when God was creating the world, certain things that God had to create in the gray area, that they were neither here nor there. They were not part of the normative creation, but they needed to exist in God's created world in order that when the time came, when they would need to be pulled out, those things already <clears throat> were given a uh, existence by Hashem in our world. One of them is Maklo, is the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu. The staff of Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, was created um, during the six days of creation. Uh, certain things as well, we find that Kadosh Baruch Hu makes a tenai, as it says in the Pasuk, yam etano, and the, the uh, ocean went back to, its, uh, to where it was. The Gemara is Doresh. What is le'etano? Le'tena'o harishon. To its original agreement, to its condition, that God said to the waters, if you're willing to split when I need you to split in a coming day, there's a time when that's going to be something I'm going to request of you, then you will have a creation and an existence. If not, not. 
That means that the sea splitting and the makel of Moshe Rabbeinu and certain elements that were required in order for the Jewish people to leave Egypt, the, all of those things, they were created when? During the days of creation, which therefore means, says of Shlomo Kluger, that the actual thing, the redemption from Egypt that happens in this way, all of that was created in the beginning of the, t- beginning of the creation of the world. So in, if you want to know what the actual order of the events is, actually it's Pesach happens first, happens even before the Maror, even before the difficulty of Egypt. Now Rabotai, I think that there's a powerful lesson in this concept. Our rabbis teach us that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes a person or, or redirects or re-guides them onto a proper path, so the thing that he uses to punish someone, makel, that staff, bohu marpeh, with that same staff, bohu marpeh, he heals the person with it. And I think on the one level, that sounds like a really neat trick from Hashem. You know, a person suffers a loss of a business, and they think, how is Hashem going to help me get out of this hole? And they think that the answer is that he'll send them another job or something else. But oftentimes, it's the very thing itself which is punishing someone, which ultimately turns out to be their salvation. But why does God need to do that? What could the purpose possibly be? And the answer is that bohu marpeh means or gives a person an ability to look back on their life with no anger, with no regrets, with no bitterness. Because if they can see within the bad thing itself that there was something good that came out, not that it had a good ending, because then the ending is nice, but the process was very bad. So they can look back and be resentful their whole life about the difficult times that they spent. But if Bohu Marpeh, if God heals with that itself, then even those difficult times come to be something that we look back uh, and we're able to, uh, we're able to celebrate. Odecha Amunai Ki Anitani. The word Anitani can mean that God answered me, but also it could mean that God afflicted me. This idea, bohu marpeh, is a very important one because what it allows us to see is actually the structure of God's story, not our story, God's story. And sometimes I think that, you know, we are like characters in a book who are only aware of the story within which we have been written. And in fact, what we don't understand is that we're characters in a much larger story and that the author of that book is really HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Pesach Matzah Maror, before they even had the Maror, Hashem had already planned the plot twist and put everything into, uh, into effect that they should be able to be saved in the proper time. I think as well, Rabotai, that is something that's important to understand with regards to writing our own stories and the stories that we write for our families and for our children. You know, the worst place to react to a situation is after the situation. To be a reactive person. To be stuck in a situation of high stress, of difficulty, you know, something of anger, of disappointment in a child, in a spouse, in a, uh, in a situation. And because the situation is upon me in that way, now I respond and it's a, ter- it's a terrible response because it's coming from anger or depression or, uh, de- or de- being desperate. The best way to respond is actually even before the situation has arisen. And what does that mean? Imagine if you were a runner. Imagine if you were a, uh, uh, um, a, a tennis player. Imagine if you were a fighter. 
One of the things that your trainer might tell you is that aside from all the physical preparation to get yourself in the zone to be able to deal with the things that the uh, challenge is going to throw at you, there's something else that you need to do as well. There was a documentary that just came out that won all sorts of awards about a young man who decides to climb a free solo climb. A free solo climb means when you're climbing up a rock face, a mountain face, which is complete sheer drop. There's nothing to step on. You climb up it. Now, most people do that with, if they do it at all, they do it with ropes and they do it with nets and they do it with harnesses. But this guy, a bit of a crazy guy, he decides he's going to climb free solo the El Capitan. This just enormous face, uh, uh, cliff face, with very little you know, ability to hold on to anything. It looks like the guy is climbing up the wall like a spider. It's the most remarkable thing to get to see. And what was interesting to me was I saw a little clip of his, of his speech that he gave where he talked about the climb. And he talked about how he had to memorize uh, the climb that he was going to do. He did it so many times with ropes before he did it without ropes that he knew every crevice. He knew where he was going to put his fingers. Because remember, it's flat wall. But to the untrained eye, it seems as if it's smooth, like the wall behind us here in the synagogue. If you know how to climb and you can find that little ridge which you can get your nails behind, and you could just stick that, just one finger, get behind over there, enough to be able to shift your balance, to hold you steady for one second while you swing your leg up to catch a little tiny indentation in the wall, which is enough exactly for your heel, right? If that's how you climb, then what happens is as you do it over and over again, you memorize the wall. He says, I knew every step of that climb by heart in my sleep before I attempted it. He mapped it out. So there was never something that was a surprise because he'd been there already repeatedly in his mind. Rabotai, the gift that is our mind, that is our imagination, aside from allowing it to while away our times dreaming of different possibilities, our imagination is an amazing gift. It allows us to go down a road repeatedly before we actually even have to set foot on it. You have a very difficult conversation coming up with your wife or with your child's teacher. Talk the conversation through in your head. What are you going to say? What are they going to say? What would you respond back? Expect the fact that someone's going to say something uh, that's going to be a little bit under your skin. You've heard yourself say it already. Then when they say it, you're already ready for it. It doesn't sting. It doesn't bite. It doesn't ruffle your feathers. This concept of using a person's brain to map out to imagine themselves on a path, on a road, on a discovery. All of that is an incredibly helpful tool to get to a place where when it comes, when push comes to shove, you're ready for the challenge that's gonna come your way. So this works if someone pushes your buttons. This works if someone needs to have a very delicate conversation without hurting someone's feelings. This works if someone <clears throat> knows they have a yetzerara and they know that every time they get into a situation, they stumble and they fall. So know the pitfalls. Go through it in your brain. What's going to happen? How's this going to work? What am I going to say? How am I going to figure out a way around it? And all of that is a tremendous thing. And where do we learn that from? From HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. God is capable of acting reactively. God doesn't get bent out of shape with emotion. God is capable of, uh, of being you know, stuck in a situation of duress with, uh, you know, because he has all the resources. 
And he has all the wealth and all the wisdom and all the patience and all, and all the everything. But even HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in order to teach us this lesson, he showed us that the concept of Pesach coming before the Maror, the Makdim Rifu'ah Lemakah, the preceding, the precedence given to creating a cure before you even create a disease. That is something which is paramount. And if we could achieve something like that for the biggest challenges of our lives, even if you can't manage everything. I had once a uh, office manager say to me, you know, we can't plan for everything. I said, great, of course, I agree with you. You know, he said, but if we can plan for 80% of the things, 80%, 20% are going to be free radicals. They're going to fly in. We're not going to be able to deal with them. We're not going to know how to, you know, they're going to come out of nowhere. They're going to sweep us off our feet. But the problem is we can't deal with our 20% because we haven't dealt with our 80. So we're always dealing with 100% of our problems. If you've sorted 80% of your pile, then the 20% that come and catch you off guard, you're capable of, of dispatching without too much difficulty. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless us to each be able to uh, bring our Pesachs before our, our Marors, uh, and through that process, experience uh, the smoothest possible transition from uh, Galut to Geulah. Baruch Adonai Amen.